Well, good morning, church. Pastor Ray here. And right now, I have the great privilege of introducing to you our guest preacher this morning. He's a very dear friend and mentor of mine, is Pastor Ted Duncan from Hope Church, Mississauga, which was formerly Harvest Bible Chapel, Brampton, where I served on staff for three years under Pastor Ted and learned so much from him. And he is here with his wife, Lindsay, and their four precious boys, Jethro, Ezra, Abel, and Boaz. So let's give them a warm Hope Ottawa welcome. Thank you very much. Happy New Year. Um, a belated Merry Christmas. So glad to be here um, this morning. You can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are going to be making their way up and down the aisle here. Just raise your hand or holler at them. And uh, we'd love to get a copy of God's Word into your hand. It's so great to be back here in Ottawa. We love this church. We love your pastor. I'm on a regular uh, Skype call with, with Pastor Ray uh, just about every week, getting different updates about uh, things that are happening uh, here. And uh, we pray for one another and encourage uh, one another. He's such a, such a dear a friend and partner uh, in uh, ministry. And my relationship with Ray and our church's relationship uh, with your church uh, is really sort of beautifully shown in uh, Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 27, uh, to chapter 2, uh, verse 4. And I thought as I was coming here today, this would be a great passage for us to look at as we sort of have, we're going to have a DTR, we're going to have a, a define the relationship kind of a, a kind of a conversation today where uh, there are some people um, uh, who are hoping that that would happen in a romantic relationship. Uh, and so you need to make sure that conversation happens, uh, define the relationship, and we're going to define our relationship uh, as, as a, a sister churches uh, that are part of the Hope Church family and part of the Great Commission collective uh, together. So Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 27, I'm going to read down to chapter 2, verse 4. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that the Spirit that gave Paul these words to write to the church at Philippi. Lord, Paul was a living and breathing follower of Jesus Christ. The, Philipp the church at Philippi was a, was a, a growing, young a church, Lord. 
And your spirit inspired Paul to write these things to that church at that time. But because your spirit was writing, Lord, these words also speak to us right here, right now, Lord. And so we pray, God, that as you are the God that has spoken, that you would prove to be the God that continues to speak through your living and active word. I pray, God, for your servant. I pray for strength and weakness. I pray for clarity and power, Lord, not in and of myself, but through your word by your spirit. Speak to us and help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The church at Philippi started when Paul was witnessing to a, a group of women that were, that were having a prayer meeting. One of them was named Lydia, and she was really influential in getting this church off the ground. Another one of the converts was a servant girl, and she was a slave, really in two respects. She was, uh, she was uh, physically and economically in slavery because another, uh, another human being owned her. Uh, but then she was also spiritually enslaved because she was possessed by demonic forces that actually gave her the, uh, the ability to, to tell mysteries, to predict the future, all of these sorts of things. But when the gospel, when the light of the gospel shone into the darkness of her heart, those demons left her and she became a follower of Jesus Christ, which was great for her, but it, it meant that there was a loss of a revenue stream for her owners. And so they got really upset. They went to the local police, tried to get Paul arrested. Paul ended up being thrown in prison. And this is the famous story in Acts chapter 16 where Paul is praying in prison and then there's an earthquake and Paul all of a sudden is set free and the jailer is suicidal. He's about to take his own life and Paul says, don't stop. And then he, uh, he shares the gospel with him. And so the church of Philippi began with Lydia and the servant girl and this uh, jailer and then Paul left them and when Paul is writing the church uh, at Philippi now he's back in prison and the church at Philippi sent him a care package they sent him some resources some food some money to help him while he's uh, while he's in prison but they also came with some questions because the last time Paul was in prison that was like an eight-hour problem like he was in prison, he prayed, he sang some songs, earthquake, and he's not in prison anymore. But now he's staying in prison. Like days have gone by and weeks have gone by and months have gone by. And so the church of Philippi, they were accustomed, they were just accustomed to seeing the miraculous all the time. I mean, why would, maybe Paul has sinned. Maybe Paul has walked away from following Jesus. Maybe God's spirit is no longer with Paul. How could he possibly be suffering in this way? And still be a Christian. And so we can see in uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 10, verse 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul said, no, it's good news that I'm still in prison. Because Paul's witnessing to the prison guards, and the prison guards know some of the, some of the guards who, who guard some of the local political leaders, even Caesar himself. And so people are, the gospel is going out, because the gospel cannot be constrained by the walls of a prison. So Paul began by telling them about his situation. Listen, it's okay. You don't need to be worried. I still love Jesus. I'm not in prison because I've, I've rebelled against the Lord. Quite the opposite. He's saying my imprisonment is actually, it's actually a good thing that's happening. So he writes this letter to clarify what's happening with him. But then he also writes the letter to address some things that are happening there. 
Because when some of the people delivered the care package to Paul, they also told him, hey man, back at church, things aren't going super well. Syntyche and, and Euodia, these, these notable women in the, in the church, they're at odds with one another. We hear about that, that in chapter 4. There's all kinds of division. There's all kinds of pride. People not talking to one another. There's all kinds of disunity. And so Paul loves the church at Philippi. And so he writes this letter, again, to clarify why he's still in prison, but then also to address some of the things that were happening there. He's really concerned about their unity. He's calling them to make sure that they continue to strive side by side. And so today's message really is going to come at us in two parts. Here's the first one. He's going to describe the need for unity. The need for unity and the reason why we need unity is because we're living in a hostile atmosphere. So Paul is talking to them about the need for unity. Look at verse 27. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He wants them to have one spirit, one mind. He wants them to be striving side by side. And he begins by challenging them to make sure that their life is worthy of the gospel. Now we want to make sure that we don't get this backwards. He, he wants us to live a worthy life because we've already received the gospel, because we've already received the gift of salvation. He's not saying live a worthy life so that you can get into heaven. No, he's, he's telling them that they already are there, that they already have received the gift of salvation. Every other religion says work hard and try to live worthy and maybe God will let you into heaven after this life. That's not the way the Christian life works. The Christian life works that God gives grace and favor and salvation as a gift and then as a result we live our life to reflect that. You see, when he says that phrase, let your manner of life be worthy, my ESV Bible has a footnote And uh, the footnote at the bottom of my page says, live as citizens. That manner of life is is the same word to live as a citizen. Later on in chapter 3 verse 20, he's going to say that we're citizens of heaven. So again, we're not trying to earn citizenship in heaven. No, we're simply trying to live like we already are. So Paul is telling the church at Philippi, listen, if you feel like you don't quite fit in with your family, if you feel like you don't quite fit in at school or at work or in the marketplace, if the reason why you don't fit in, it's because you actually don't fit in. If you feel like you don't belong in this world, it's because you don't belong in this world. You're no, you're no longer simply just a citizen of this world. You are a citizen of heaven. So he's telling them, you are saved and you need to live in a way that is worthy of that salvation. He says, worthy of the gospel of Christ. We are to live in response to what Christ has done for us. The way that we study at school must be worthy of the gospel. The way that we compete in sports must be worthy of the gospel. The way that we do our job must be worthy of the gospel. The way that we drive in traffic Sorry, I'm from Toronto, so that's a real thing. Must be worthy of the gospel. The way that we speak to our spouses must be worthy of the gospel. The way that we listen to our parents must be worthy 
of the gospel. The way that we treat our friends must be worthy of the gospel. The way that we spend our money and our time, all of these things, we, we, all of it must be worthy of the gospel. All of our living, of all of our lives, we never get to put things on pause. It all must be lived worthy of the gospel. And then he says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you're standing firm. Paul is really conceited. He's not sure if he's ever going to see them again. Look down in verse, at chapter 2, verse 12. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul is, is, is he, he, he doesn't want them to link their faith in Jesus strictly to their relationship with him. You see, all of us have this potential danger of mixing the horizontal with the vertical. I mean, you all have an amazing pastor, amen? Like Ray Kaprowski, what a guy. Praise God. We love Ray, we love Natalie, we love their family. But we need to make sure that we are not simply serving, we're not simply reading our Bibles, we're not, we're not simply leading in the way just because of Ray. Ray's absent right now. But what Ray would want more than anything would be that you would love Jesus. Not just simply do things or serve things because Ray challenges you to, but because Jesus is calling you to do those things. Some of the kids are here today and you can be thankful that your parents have brought you to Hope Bible Church this morning and they want you to learn about what it means to follow Jesus. And you might have showed up today thinking that you'd be back with the, with the other kids but now you're sitting in the uncomfortable chairs in the big gym and there's some skinny guy yelling at you. And, and, but listen, your, your parents have brought you here today because they love you and they want you to learn about Jesus. And there's going to be a time and it's going to be really quick where you're going to be away at school or you're going to be off with your own job and your parents are no longer going to wake you up in the morning and take you to church. They're actually not even going to be there. And what your parents want more than anything is for you just not to come to church because your parents want you to go to church, but for you to personally decide, no, I want to be there. Do you remember when you used to go, kids, to the park and your parents had to push you on the swings? See, I remember this because I got four kids and I, there's only one left that I still have to push. The other guys have all figured this out. You see, when you go to the park, you, you can't swing without your parents. And then all of a sudden, you figure this out, don't you? I can't do it with both my legs. But this is a powerful thing, isn't it? When you learn to swing on your own, it's an amazing thing for you. But you know what? It's also an amazing thing for your parents. Because then they can go enjoy their half-calf latte on the bench while you learn to swing yourself. And that's what Paul is saying here. Whether I come and see you or am absent, that you know how to swing. Every once in a while, Pastor Ray can go and give you a big push, or your parents can give you a big push, or your small group leader or some conference or some podcast can push you along. But listen, at the end of the day, we all need to choose to swing ourselves. Whether those leaders or those influencers are present or whether they are absent, we are all called upon to learn to swing and the reason why we need to do that is because we are called upon to stand firm in one spirit. 
with one mind, striving side by side. That phrase, stand firm, is a, is a word describing soldiers holding their ground no matter what comes their way. They've been told by their general that they need to defend that spot and there's, retreat is not an option. They will stand firm with one spirit and with one mind. More about that a little bit later. And then striving side by side. That's actually a sports term. Sports was really big in the Greco-Roman world, the time in which Paul was writing. And so he's talking about a team sport where everyone is working together to try to put the puck in the net. We'll do better. The juniors didn't do so good against Russia, but we'll do better. We got to work together to put the puck in the net, to get the runners around the bases or between the wickets or get the, get the ball into the net or the ball over the end zone. Whatever, whatever your sport may be, the, the working together The Christian life is not golf. The Christian life is a team sport, striving side by side. And the logo on our jersey is the faith in the gospel. He says, striving side by side for the faith in the gospel. There's a saying in, in hockey culture, I'm, a, I'm coaching two hockey teams right now for my, for my boy, boys, is the name on the front of the jersey is more important than the name on the back. And it's not about individual performance. It's about striving together for the sake of of the team. And he goes on to say in verse 28, not frightened because we're striving together. So this is our competition. This is who we're up against. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God, not frightened. When we're united, when we're standing side by side, we have no need to be afraid. And listen, here's the thing. Our our opponents do not have the truth on their side. We ultimately have an opponent named Satan and he's a liar. He's a liar from the beginning. Jesus said in John 8, he's the father of lies. He doesn't have truth. So he can't fight us with truth. We always have the truth. So what does he try to fight us with? He tries to fight us with fear tries to make us afraid. He tries to intimidate us. And even in the world, even in our culture, our culture has jettisoned truth. No longer cares about truth at, at all anymore. Our, our, our culture doesn't even adhere. They, our culture 15 or 20 years ago, you say, well, we adhere to science. Now we don't, they don't even care about science anymore. Truth schmooth. But what is, our, what is our culture and our society relying on now? Fear. Fear, intimidation, social ostracization, shaming people, what you believe that, well, what about this, how can it, and jumping all over people in social media and all of the, it's all about fear. When you don't have truth, all you have left is fear. But Paul says, listen, if we're striving side by side, then we have no reason to be afraid, not frightened in anything. But we've got to make sure that we take a stand together. When God calls us to take a, take a stand, we can expect that we won't be standing alone. That we're supposed to stand together. Paul's saying, refuse to be intimidated. It's a call to courage. It's a call to stand together. And Paul says that when we stand together, when we're not afraid of our opponents, in the middle of verse 28, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction 
but of your salvation. It's a sign, but the sign has two sides. The first sign is the destruction of our enemies, and the other side is a sign of our salvation. How does this sign work? You see, when Christians don't retaliate when they're attacked, when Christians don't refuse to be afraid when they feel the pressure of the culture around them, it works as a sign, a sign that the gospel is true, a sign that, they, that Christians actually believe what they, say they, what they say they believe, that there is a holy God who created this universe and who is the judge of all things, who believe, that Christians believe that we have all sinned and fall short of God's glory, who believe that at the end of the day, all that really matters is what God thinks and not what the world thinks, who believe that there is a Savior who suffered and died on the cross for us. When we take a stand, it is a sign that we believe what we say we believe. And Paul says it's a sign, it's a sign of their destruction. Romans 12 verses 17 to 19 says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. When we don't retaliate, it is proof that we believe what we say we believe. We believe that God is the ultimate judge. And so it is a sign when when a Christian stands their ground and is not retaliating. So it's a sign of a destruction to our opponents and it's also a sign of our salvation. How is it a sign of our salvation? We'll look at the next verse, verse 29. It says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, that's our salvation, but also suffer for his sake. You see, when we experience opposition and when we don't give in and when we refuse to be afraid, it is a sign of our salvation. Verse 29 uses the word granted. Granted simply means to to receive a gift. It's been granted to us that we would believe in him. And we're normally, we're accustomed to thinking about that, that believing in Jesus, faith in Jesus, it's a gift. We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. It's the gift of God. But the granted there is referring to believing, but then it says, but also suffer for his sake. Suffering is actually a gift. Persecution is not an accident or a punishment. It is a gift. Paul says it has been granted to him and it has been granted to the church at Philippi. Now this is something that we, to be honest, we may experience in some small way socially as Christians living where we do, when we do. But for other brothers and sisters across the world, this is an everyday reality. In, 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 in our church, the reason why I happened to be preaching on Philippians chapter 1 verses 27 to 2-4 was because that was sort of the next verse. As, as, 
as pastors were preaching through the gospel of, or the, the book of Philippians, this just happens to be the next verse we're reading. Most churches around the world read a passage like this, not just because it's the next group of verses to read so that we can write it in our journals or take notes in our Bibles. They're reading passages like this so that they can survive as Christians in the context in which they are living. Let me share with you some statistics from uh, opendoors.com. This is from the previous year. 245 million Christians are living under some form of persecution worldwide. These are places like North Korea, like Afghanistan, Pakistan, Somalia, Libya, Sudan, Iran, even India. Our eyes were opened last Easter. Remember when those three uh, uh, churches were bombed in, um, in Sri Lanka on Easter Sunday. Those three churches were just three of 1,266 church buildings that experienced an attack in 2018. 2,605 Christians were imprisoned without trial. And these, listen, these are just, this is just in the countries that actually disclose information. And then 4,136 Christians were martyred in 2018. That's 11 brothers and sisters in Christ every day. Paul says that it has been grant, it has been a gift for them to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Matthew 5 verse 11 tells us this. It, it says, can we get the Matthew 5 on the screen here? I think it's coming up next. There we go. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Acts 5.41, when the early disciples experienced persecution for the first time, it says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And so we can pray for those who are being persecuted around the world. We can also prepare ourselves. It's beginning to happen in the legal profession. It's beginning to happen in the medical profession. It's certainly happening politically and socially and culturally in our society. Suffering for the name of Christ will soon be granted to us as well. And now is a really important time for us to figure out, are we in or are we not? If we are going to be standing firm, if we are going to be striving side by side, we need to know, is the person beside me someone that I can trust? Are they someone who is all in? Are we going to fight the fight together? We need to know who's in and who's not. So there's this intense need for unity. In verse 30, Paul says, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. That was when he got arrested there in Philippi. And now here that I still have because Paul finds himself back in prison. So there's a need for unity, this hostile atmosphere. And then Paul tells them the key to unity. The second point of the message is the key to unity, a humble attitude. 
So he appeals to them. This is why we need to be united because we got to stand side by side because there's this hostile atmosphere that we're living in. And then he says, here's the way for us to stay united is to have a humble attitude. Chapter two, verse one, he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now there's a, there's a lot there in those, in those few verses, so let me map it out for you a little bit on a diagram here. The, the, the command is this, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. So the command is actually in verse 2, but verse 1 sets up the command, it's the motivation. This is the why that we're supposed to, why we're doing what we do. And all of these any statements, do you see it there in verse one? Any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now some commentators and some preachers, they try to, you know, dissect all of these verses. And you know, what, what is the difference between encouragement in Christ versus comfort from love? Basically what Paul is saying, he's basically saying, uh, do you love Jesus and do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you have a heart that actually loves other people? Is the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Then if, if, uh, if listen, if you're a Christian, then complete my joy by being of the same mind and then he gives the application so the motivation is verse one all of these any statements the command is verse two complete his joy by being of the same mind and then the application is in verse three and four and notice how there's a negative statement and a positive statement in verse three the negative do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit and then the positive but in humility count others more significant than yourselves and then look in verse four there's a there's another negative let each of you look not only to his own interest that's negative but then here's the positive but also to the interests of others he wants us to be of the same mind that central command there is to be of the same mind having the same love well, what does it mean to be of the same mind? Does it mean like, hey, I'm thinking of a number of between one and a hundred. What is it? A number between one and a hundred. Pardon? That was not what I was thinking. Exactly the same. Okay, now you try. A number between one and a hundred. Fifty. That's exactly what I was thinking. That, that's, that's not, I'm lying. I was not thinking 95. I was not thinking 50. To be of the same mind doesn't mean that you're thinking exactly the same thing all the time. All right? And you, that, that is not that, it, listen, there's a difference between unity and uniformity. That's what Paul is after. Unity, not uniformity. It's the same love, the same servant-hearted attitude towards one another. Not always thinking the same thing. He says to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit that's the first negative nothing from selfish ambition or conceit don't do things to draw attention to yourself don't puff yourself up don't treat every conversation like it's a job interview don't tell your resume to every new person that you meet maybe as, as, as Dale Carnegie so uh, wisely said almost a century ago, stop trying to get other people interested in you and just show an interest in other people. 
rather, rather than just simply trying to, trying to have other people learn facts about yourself, ask questions to learn about other people. Don't make it about you. It says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. You know, we see lots of changes in language and we're living in such interesting times where different words are meaning uh, different, uh, different things in our culture today. You know, when Christians began to preach the gospel and as, as the Greek and Roman world was exposed to the teaching of Christianity, you know, the word humility or humble sort of got turned on its head. In Roman culture, to call someone humble or to say that someone possessed the characteristic of humility was an insult. But as Christians began to preach the cross, as the Apostle Paul's writings began to spread across the Roman world, humility, if, if, if you study the, the way that word was used in Greek, before Christianity, that word was never used in a positive light. But to consider the interests of others higher than yourself meant that there must be something wrong with you. But Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses this word that would normally be used as an insult and uses it as the goal that all of us should be aiming to live towards. That we would live with humility. That we would be counting others more significant than ourselves. What would that look like for you in the next 45 minutes? After this sermon is over, after we sing this next song, what would it look like for you in this gym to consider the interests of others more than yourself? What would it mean in the car ride home with your family? What would, it, what would your afternoon look like? How would your week look different if, if at work and at home and in your neighborhood, if you were to consider the interests of others more than yourself? To count others more significant. To look not only in verse 4, to look not only to your own interests, but also into the interests of others this is what we are called to do to be considering the interests of others this is how we are to stand firm how we're to strive side by side Josh can you come on up here for one for one second I don't want you to lead a song I just want you to stand uh, here can we all show our appreciation for Josh and all that he does not just on Sunday morning but throughout the week such a blessing. Now, we are called upon to be standing side by side. Now, if we were in a battle, if there was a fight raging right now, if I wanted to be selfish, where would I stand? Behind, right? If I want to be selfish, I'm like, yeah, attack him. Now, if Josh wanted to do the same thing, if he was thinking selfish, what would he do? He'd go behind me. Now, if this was happening in the context of a battle, what's going on right now? Are we advancing or are we retreating? We're retreating. The battle's not going very well, is it? But if we were to consider the interests of others, if I were to think about Josh and what he needs in the middle of a battle, if I were to be humble and selfless, what would I do? I would do this, wouldn't I? But what would Josh do? And then what would I do? And what would Josh do? Right, you see, thank you, Josh. Go ahead and grab a seat. Thank you so much. Listen, we're in a battle. And if we take the selfish route, we're gonna be retreating in the battle. 
And, and we think that it's safe, but it's not safe because we're losing ground to the enemy. But if we make ourselves vulnerable, and if we get out in front of the needs of others, and if we humbly serve, we advance into enemy territory for the glory of God. And that's what the Apostle Paul is calling us to do. To not retreat back and think about our interests, but to advance forward in humility and service to serve one another. Then, I just want to close by looking at verse uh, 5 through 11. But in verse 5, it begins by saying, Have this mind among yourselves. You see, all throughout the, all throughout the section, verse tw- chapter 1, verse 27 said, have one mind. Chapter 2, verse 2, it says, have the same mind and one mind. And we've already said, it doesn't mean you're always thinking the same thing at the same time. But what is the mind? If we're supposed to have one mind or the same mind, well, now in verse 5, he says, this is the mind that I want you to have. This is how I want you to think. If you're going to strive side by side, if you're going to put the interests of others, you need to think like this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Loved ones, we serve one another because we have been served. We sacrifice for one another because one has sacrificed for us. We can take steps of humility because one has humbled himself beyond all that we could comprehend. To have one mind, to have the same mind, is to have the mind of Christ. To think that we lowly, rebellious creatures who shook our face at God and turned our own way, that the creator of the universe would humble himself and come and become one of us and suffer and die on the cross to pay the penalty that all of us deserve. If that doesn't humble us, nothing will. The reality that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. It's not like we were reaching up to him. No, he reached down to us. And if we get our eyes on Jesus and off of ourselves, then we'll begin to serve others and strive side by side. And rather than retreating against the enemy, we will have the courage to stand firm and to move forward. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, it's so good to be here at Hope Bible Church, Ottawa. We're so thankful for all that you are doing here. We thank you for the servant leadership team. We thank you for uh, Pastor Ray. We thank you for Josh and for their families. Lord, we thank you for the new people that are coming and joining this uh, church family, God. I pray that you would unite this church family. God, I pray that, that as our church in Mississauga and our parent church in Oakville and this church here at Ottawa, that we would be found faithful, Lord, that we would indeed strive side by side. 
Lord, forgive us for our selfishness, Lord. Forgive us for the times where we've looked into our own interests. Forgive us for the times where we've done things for, uh, for vanity or for conceit, Lord. Humble us. Help us to serve you. Help us to serve one another for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.